Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where, though the Lakers may not have signed or traded for any max players this offseason, they do literally have two max players who they drafted the last two years who have been making some noise in the summer league and who could potentially even make some noise for the big league team this upcoming year. HBO Max, or Max as it's now called. Maxwell Lewis and Max Christie, baby. I am your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander, and welcome officially to the Dog Days of Summer. In this episode, we will be talking more about any updated Lakers offseason thoughts that we have on any of the new, new players or the team as a whole. Plus, we'll get into some Summer League talk as well, because the Junior Varsity Squad has been looking mighty impressive thus far in Summer League, and their play could have real on-court implications for the Lakers on the main squad this upcoming year as well. But first, before we get into the Summer League play talk, Tommy, I have some new tidbits and observations on uh, Cam Reddish, as well as Jackson Hayes. So if you have any new updated thoughts on those guys, we can save it for that section. But do you have any new observations or takes with regards to this macro team as a whole and how they may function before we get to Cam Reddish and Jackson Hayes? I don't know that I have any new ideas about how they may function. I I do think it's like, it is funny that after all these years of uh, complaining that we don't have enough forwards, we like have too many forwards now. (laughs) It seems like that way sometimes, but yeah. You know, it's like they're clearly going to want to play, you know, a hard-nosed defensive style. Um, Beyond that, I'm not sure, like, I'm not sure that my opinions have really changed so far. Yeah, so let's get right into the Cam Reddish talk, or like my new observations with Cam Reddish, because he is one of those forwards who contribute to the forward glut that we now have. An embarrassment of riches, Tommy, at the forward position, at the 6-7-plus position, which is amazing. Although, some may argue that Cam Reddish may be a shooting guard on this team. And I mean, he has sort of played like that in in recent teams as well. Um, But with regards to Cam Reddish, the one thing or the two things that I want to bring up is, first of all, with regards to his defense, something that I noticed is Cam Reddish has very good hands. He gets a lot of strips on unsuspecting bigs or even perimeter guards when he's engaged on ball. And Cam Reddish actually has a career steal percentage rate of 2.0. Last year, he also had a 2.0 steal percentage rate, which would have ranked him 13th in the NBA when it comes to steal percentage. 
Guys like DeAnthony Melton, Jimmy Butler, and OG Ananubi lead the pack in that category, one, two, three, but Cam Reddish is there at, in the top 13 of steal percentage rate. So that's one thing to keep in mind that I sort of, you know, dug up that I thought was interesting. Like he has good hands and he knows how to use his length. Um, outside of that, the one thing that I wanted to bring up with Cam Reddish is something you referenced in our uh, free agency reaction episode. And you mentioned his strong playoff run, his strong 2021 playoff run against the Bucks. And I just want to dig into that a little bit more because I watched some game tape on that run. And it's important to remember that during that 2021 season, Cam Reddish was just a sophomore, actually. And for much of that playoff run, he didn't play at all. They literally inserted him because they were trying to find any answers that they could against the Bucks. And his first playoff minutes came against that Bucks team where he was primarily matched up against Chris Middleton. And so defensively, I'm watching him shadow Middleton and I'm like, oh shoot, he's doing a very good job shuffling his feet and bodying Middleton up, mucking things up on the defensive end. And he's doing this as a sophomore. And so I thought that was pretty impressive. And while I don't think Cam Reddish is as fundamentally disciplined or strong on the defensive end, surely not as consistent on the defensive end as a guy like Max Christie. I do think his added height and length to Christie should at the very least make it an interesting positional battle if he truly buys in on that end. Because on ball, he can really do some stuff. And then in that series, if we just look at the offensive end of things, he showed some flashes as well. Um, Like the first game that he got inserted out of the blue... He put up 12 points, 5 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 steals, 1 block on 5 of 9 from the field, 2 of 3 from 3, and that's his first shot getting real playoff minutes in Game 4, which they won. The next game, he only had 7 points, but he did have 4 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 steals, and 1 block, and then the game that everybody knows is the last game, and you know, you might caveat this by saying it was kind of a looter looter in a riot game. But still, he scored 21 points, 3 rebounds, 3 assists, 1 steal on 7 of 12 from the field, 6 of 7 from 3 in that last game, which the Hawks inevitably lost. But I think that playoff series kind of shows Cam's potential that he was able to do this as a sophomore in the playoffs. And actually, in the 2022 season, he carried that momentum through to the start of that season for the Hawks before he got traded to the Knicks because... If you look at his first month, October, Cam Reddish in just 24 minutes off the bench averaged 16 points, shooting 46% from the field, 43% from three, hitting two threes a game, and then hitting 82% from the stripe. And then in December, in 27 minutes, Cam averaged 15 points and shot 39% from three, and that was also the month that he dropped a career-high 38 points. And then he got traded to the Knicks, who had no actual plan for him, And since then, I feel like it's been a topsy-turvy situation for him ever since he got traded to the Knicks and Tom Thibodeau. It didn't seem like Tom Thibodeau was even on board with the front office's decision to trade for Cam Reddish because I feel like from the Hawks-Buck series onward to the start of 2022, you really saw that progression and him carry that momentum. But 
that momentum got interrupted the minute he got traded to the Knicks and they, they didn't know how to use him. And since then it's been, he got traded to the Portland Trailblazers and he actually did okay for them in 20 games, averaging 12 points. But I really think that Nick's situation really threw him for a loop when he was actually headed in the right direction. So that kind of gives me some positive encouragement with regards to the dude was on the right track. It's not his fault that he got stuck in very weird situations under one of the toughest coaches to play for in Tom Thibodeau, you know? So do you have any updated thoughts on Cam Reddish? So Cam Reddish, when he was coming out of college, I remember, you know, watching him at Duke that year and just thinking this guy is horrific. Um, And he was super, super hyped. And I could never really understand it. But once it was time for like his draft scouting process or whatever, and I sort of like dug into what the scouts were looking at with him, I, it made more sense to me. The thing about Cam Reddish is like, he's big, he's long. And so you, you know, we've talked about this with Torian Prince and other guys, like you almost instinctively want to slot him into like, oh, he's a rangy wing who plays defense and shoots some threes. But he wasn't even a good shooter. And he was, for some reason, always kind of marketed as a shooter. But he was always like a super inconsistent shooter. And I don't know. I don't want to call him streaky because streaky suggests that like you just have on nights and off nights. I just like when Cam Reddish misses threes, it are, I mean, it's bad, dude. <laughs> so it's like some days it's just like he looks like he doesn't know how to shoot a three. Um, but, you know, the intriguing thing about him has always been. And the scouts talked about this, too. Like he's kind of. Paul George-esque like the comps were there even at that age like I don't think the problem with him is he hasn't really developed necessarily any of those skills but like his ability at 6'8 to dribble the ball and do things one-on-one on the perimeter like he showed flashes of that like how much has that developed since he got into the NBA unclear like his length and size at his position whether that's the two or the three however you want to characterize him like it's pretty elite right and his athleticism and all these things it checks a lot of boxes how much is that translated to the nba and how much is he developed I, I think unclear i think though like of these like lottery type reclamation projects that the lakers have had i wouldn't even count recent years but you're obviously you have the lonnie walker and troy brown and maybe troy was slightly outside of the lottery or whatever but and you have the, we have the malik monk But even like dating back to like the earlier days of when we were doing this podcast, like Wesley Johnson, you know, like those types of uh, those types of players like Cam Reddish to me is the one that for whatever reason, and maybe there's like off court reasons or whatever that we don't know, but like he has never gotten a consistent shot to sort of show what he can do, show, you know, how he's developed and. Like you said, it's sort of been random. Like he was on a Hawks team as a young player that was doing surprisingly well. And like, you know, his second year. And so he just got thrown in and randomly in a playoff series, even though he was out of the rotation because he was young. And then like he goes, you know, then he dealt with some injuries. And like you mentioned the Knicks thing. And so it's like he's just never really had like a consistent opportunity uh, that you would expect someone who was drafted that high to and who is sort of that hype coming out of college to like have gotten. So there's definitely some like untapped upside here. I just, and I think he's going to push max, by the way, I agree with people who think that he's going to push max for that backup two spot just because he's older, but you know, 
is is it going to be like a Malik Monk case where it's like we've seen the flashes and he just needs the chance and the right system and on the right team and with the right type of teammates to like show what he can do? Or is it going to be, you know, more like the Troy Brown case? And not to say Troy Brown had like an unsuccessful season. He obviously did just fine for us. Was a big part. You know, Troy was a big part of our success for most of the year, but like he kind of was who we thought he was, right? Like mm-hmm. after it, like maybe he showed it more consistently, but he was who we thought he was. He wasn't some like untapped lotto prospect who like, you know, suddenly is showing all these lotto skills. So I, I don't know where Cam Reddish is going to end up on that spectrum. But the nice thing on taking with taking a flyer on somebody like that on this type of team, it's like if he makes the rotation like fantastic. That means he beat out Max Christie, who we know is a solid player, like based on what we've seen end of last season and certainly this year in the summer league. If he doesn't make the rotation, he's another 6'8 guy who Phil Handy can work with in the background. And maybe one day he'll come in in the right matchup against like the Clippers or the Celtics or some team with like a lot of big wings and he can give us some minutes. So it's just like really, really low risk, high upside type of move that is really hard to criticize. But yeah, I'm, it seems like the coaches are really high on Cam Reddish based on media reports, but yeah, I'm kind of curious to see, like, you know, we kind of heard similar things regarding Lonnie Walker last year. Like, oh, Lonnie, like, he's always been an inconsistent shooter, but actually he can hit threes, you know, and oh, he's never played defense. But actually this year he's locked in on defense and he had a good year for us. But like, again, sort of like Troy, it's like he was who he was like he it's not like he really changed that much other than maybe he got slightly more efficient with consistent consistent minutes. So, yeah, where does Cam Reddish fall in the spectrum i just i don't know honestly if we can get a lonnie walker year out of him that's huge and i mean like if he can contribute in the playoffs in some random spots like lonnie walker did that would be huge because if if he does what lonnie walker did last year but with two inches of height then that means that's a success story you know um yeah or like four inches of height actually or four inches of height yeah that's right six three to six seven and honestly with cam reddish it is very easy to see why he was a lottery pick because of the skills he flashes i just want to remind people that literally it was going the right trajectory that nick's trade totally threw him for a loop and it's understandable when you're a young player like that like any small thing like that that steals your momentum from you can it's it's hard to regain it and i think with this last chance last shot deal i think he'll still get chances after this by the way because he's only 23 but i think he has a real opportunity here to cement himself as in a more tailored down role a more specifically specified role for him i think he can surprise some people and i'm excited that the Lakers front office and the Lakers scouting staff, the Lakers coaching staff is excited to work with him because he seems like a good kid. I I haven't heard any off-court troubles or anything like that from him. It's just, you know, he hasn't gotten the time to truly develop. In a lot of senses, it's kind of like THT, right? Like, they're both raw. So, Was he part of that Josh Hart trade? He was part of that Josh Hart trade, but I think the reason why the, the Trailblazers did that was less for Cam Reddish and more for the pick that they got, you know? Um, Matisse Thibel is the the wing that they, you know, wanted to bring in. But, you know, even in 20 games, he started for them and he averaged 12 points, two rebounds, two assists. So he, even then he flashed some things. The Knicks situation was just a nebulous dark hole where he got lost in it. So, um, but yeah, that, that trade or, you know, that 
kind of aspect of his history, you know, what you said, young players being thrown out, like little things can throw them off and while they're trying to develop. I think like it's exactly like the opposite happened to Josh Hart, right? Like he signed with or he was with Portland and, you know, he obviously did well for us. He did well for New Orleans. He was in Portland and he just fell into a rut. I don't know if you remember, like the beginning of last year, Josh Hart was shooting like 25 percent for like the first from three for like the first like three months of the yeah. season or something. So like, you know, but then he switched his role and and went with the Knicks and and ended up thriving there. And I think like the opposite was true for Cam Reddish. So, you know, it's it's I don't know what people are expecting from this signing. To be honest, I haven't really been following Twitter in this in this respect, but like. I, I just think it's such a it's it's a low risk move because like you said it's not like this guy is notorious for carrying off court issues so like worst case scenario he sits on the end of the bench and he works with Phil Handy for a year he maybe he gets some chances to flash his stuff and he gets paid and everyone sort of wins yeah I totally agree with you all right let's take it to break when we return after break let's quickly touch on Jackson Hayes and then we'll get into the even younger guys in the summer league dude so we will catch you guys after the turn Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey guys, quick call to action for yours truly, the Lakers Legacy Podcast. If you guys have enjoyed our off-season content this season, especially our NBA draft content, and you guys have gotten all the little nuggets and hot takes that you needed, if you love all of our Moneyball margin options on the free agency market and stuff like that that we've thrown out in the past, if you just enjoy consuming our content, please, please, please take a moment to rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. Also, please take a moment to give us a five-star thumb tap on the Spotify app. Just search for the Lakers Legacy Podcast on the Spotify app and click that five-star dial at the top of our page. It's that easy to do. Everybody has the Spotify app. We would greatly appreciate it. It will do a lot in determining the future of this show moving forward, especially as we head into the 2023-24 season. But for those who have supported us and continually listened, shared, subscribed, given us reviews, given us five stars. For those who have given us money via Patreon, we truly appreciate you. If you haven't done any of these things yet, please consider doing so. It would mean a lot. And again, 
at this point, it's the only thing that drives this show. With that said, thank you for consuming our content, and please enjoy the rest of the show. All right, so we are back. Let's quickly talk about Jackson Hayes, because as I dug into his tape more, and I dug into his previous two years more, you're going to find me referencing Jackson Hayes' uh, 2020-21 season more, because last season with Zion Williamson and Jonas Valanciunas, for whatever reason, his role got phased out, but 2020-21 was the season where he actually got some chances to start and actually did really well. The team did really well when he was starting, and it's funny that he started as the power forward. He started next to Jonas Valanciunas. That's not a pairing you'd think would actually That's work, crazy that they did but that. But that's what they did, and the, the Hornets, I mean the Hornets, the Pelicans actually did pretty well. I think they were like 8-2 and two over that stretch, and... Pelicans fans were saying that, you know, Jackson Hayes at the power forward spot was actually better than Jackson Hayes at the center position, which is interesting. And the team as a whole defended better as a result of that. And the one thing that I noticed about Jackson Hayes on the defensive end is the fact that he doesn't have crazy block numbers. Um, He's never even averaged one block a game. And his per 36 numbers block wise, he only hovers at around 1.4 blocks or so, whereas truly elite big men who block shots, they're averaging per 36-wise like 2.5, 2.8, like ridiculous-looking numbers. But for Jackson Hayes, it's at like 1.4, and the highest block average that he's had his entire career is 0.9, which is kind of weird and rare for an athletic big man like him. And obviously, when you see him block shots in those highlight reels, you're like, they're of this supreme... <laughs> I mean, they are insane block shot highlights, right? They tend to come off like chase down blocks in transition or him getting weak side blocks or him blocking dudes with two hands and pinning it to the glass. But when you look at the reality of, you know, whether he is a good rim protector, it doesn't really sync up. He doesn't get a lot of block shot numbers, Not that, but that doesn't necessarily tell the whole tale of whether you're a good rim protector. But it's just an interesting thing that I found that he's not a crazy block no, block shot numbers sort of dude. It'll be interesting to see if those block numbers rise with the addition of AD, if they play alongside each other, which they've referenced that they might. That said, block shots aside, what I really want to talk about with regards to Jackson Hayes, Tommy, is his pick and roll defense. And what intrigues me about Hayes the most is his mobility and agility and his potential to contain and defend pick and roll, the pick and roll. And this isn't this isn't just potential because Pelicans fans have referenced how well he does guarding guards in the pick and roll. He moves like a wing and power forward in a center's body. And he's shown flashes of being able to really shuffle his feet out there when defending the pick and roll. So I want to see how that trait develops and how Darvin Ham specifically uses him in those lineups where he plays with AD, where AD is able to protect the rim, but Jackson Hayes is able to defend that pick and roll or contain the ball handler. Because... A lot of Pelicans fans, I was looking like last year and two years ago when when Jackson Hayes was doing a really good job containing the pick and roll, Pelicans fans described it as similar to how Calipari in Kentucky would use Willie Cauley-Stein to guard ball handlers and pick and roll, and he'd have Carl Towns hang back in the paint to protect the rim. And I feel like in this situation, Hayes would be playing the Willie Cauley-Stein role because he has flashed an uncanny ability to stick with ball handlers and use his agility and length to contain them. And then I could also see AD hanging back a little bit more and protecting the paint. So that's just an interesting dynamic that I kind of saw from Jackson Hayes that kind of intrigues me, especially if he knows he has like a backline help in Anthony Davis. 
Because, I mean, it's not hard to see how a guy with his mobility and agility would be able to actually contain ball handlers and pick and rolls and stick with them pretty well. It's just about, are you putting him in a defensive scheme where he knows exactly what he needs to do at any given moment because he is still prone to lapses on the defensive end or not being in the right position, but he's shown enough, according to Pelicans fans, where it's like, dude, this guy is guarding the pick and roll to perfection in certain games, you know? So any thoughts on Jackson Hayes or just what I just mentioned? So like Jackson Hayes, I think like this archetype of player that he is, we sort of got into when we were doing the draft stuff. And I think specifically like, you know, when you're looking at like guys like Derek Lively or even James Najee, like every year there are like these random athletic bigs who have all like, you know, they're physical freaks. You hear it over and over and it's like, oh my God, this guy is seven foot, but he's already built like an NBA player and he's like super explosive off the ground. Like it's DeAndre Jordan. You know how like (laughs) there's always like people trying to find like, who's the next DeAndre Jordan? Um, And Jackson Hayes, obviously, and he has like the Texas connection too, but like, I think that's why, you know, people sort of view Jackson Hayes as like maybe that type of player. And he just never got the chance to develop. Now he got kind of screwed, right? Because like he was drafted the same year that they drafted Zion, I believe. So like they had just traded AD to us famously, um, which was like, you know, theoretically opening up a bunch of minutes in their front court. But then they drafted Zion. They drafted another like kind of project big man. And then it's like you mentioned his sophomore season, he got a little more time, but then it's like at some point there, they had traded for Jonas Valanciunas and then like Jonas Valanciunas, because he could shoot threes, seemed to like make more sense with Zion. So then it's like pretty soon you have this guy who's like a third, fourth year player who's just like never gotten a chance to like develop. And I know people say that like the big man position is like going out of style in the NBA, but I think all that's really happened honestly is like, the good big men have just learned that like they have to develop other sorts of skills and it's not necessarily shooting, but passing, playing defense, defending the pick and roll. Like if you can do those types of things, it doesn't matter if you can shoot or not. There's going to be a role for you if you're seven foot tall, 250 pounds and you can jump. Um, the problem is like when you're not getting the reps, how are you supposed to learn how to do that stuff? You know, it's not like, it's not like Jackson Hayes didn't have the right coaching. Obviously, Willie Green was a great coach. I can't remember who they had before Willie Green now. But, like, you know, he's he's been in an organization that has developed other young guys. So, the you know, the what I wonder with him is, like, again, sort of, like, similar with the Regis stuff, is, like, how much of this is just, like, he actually is just kind of a bust and all the sort of projections of him where he could go as a player were just way too high uh, and how much of this is just he hasn't had the right opportunity, but like playing with LeBron, playing with AD, playing with, you know, other the other types of forwards and whatnot that we have. Um, it, like, how much is that going to help playing on a team that's going to be competitive for, you know, a championship or whatever? Yeah, I, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they use him, but it seems like they're very excited about him. And they're obviously the first big that they signed. And so I'm sure they have big plans for him. So I'm I'm excited to see what they do with him because he's also, outside of defending the pick and roll, he's also really good on offense as the pick and roll roll man and finisher because he is a very explosive athletic finisher 
Um, and I think last year he finished 12th in the league in points per possession out of the pick and roll with 1.54 points per possession. AD, by comparison, averaged 1.28 as the roll man out of pick and roll. That leads to more questions about why AD is not being used in the pick and roll better. But anyways, um, that just kind of shows you flashes of, you know, how good Jackson Hayes is as the roll man, which makes sense because the dude is athletic. He's also very agile and he can put up these reverse layups out of nowhere. He's not like a clunky. He's not as clunky as like a JaVale McGee per se when it comes to finishing at the rim if he's not able to dunk it. So, and then the biggest part and most encouraging part is he can actually knock down his free throws, which I like, um, or better than most other centers at his position. So excited to see how they use Jackson Hayes, whether it's as the, the main center or as the power forward next to Anthony Davis at center. But at that point, it's just semantics. Okay, to close out this episode, let's really quickly talk about the Summer League, Tommy, and we can just do top-line thoughts here. Max Christie, Max Christie's evolution, the strides that he's been able to make this Summer League have been incredible, like averaging 17 points, like four rebounds, four assists, like the on-ball creation stuff he's shown, the sledgehammer tomahawk dunk he had against Golden State. Jesus Christ, I didn't know this guy was that athletic. Like the ferocity with which he jammed that thing down. I mean, we know he got stronger, but I didn't know. I don't, and I also don't know if he got longer or he got taller. It just feels like he got longer and taller because of his confidence level and his decisiveness. And so I'll caveat things by saying this is how second year players should look in summer league, as we've seen from guys like Jabari Smith, Keegan Murray, Isaiah Jackson, even that dude from Memphis, Jake. LaRavia or whatever. Apparently Jake LaRavia is from Pasadena, California, by the way. But Jake was like the number 19th pick for the Memphis Grizzlies and he's doing really well so far. So all to say is Max Christie is doing what he's supposed to do, but just the fact that he's a second round pick doing this, all the guys I previously mentioned went in the first round. Yeah, his rise from looking like he was just a 3 and D sort of KCP player to looking like a guy with three-level scoring upside is insane. And if you remember our first scouting report, the moment that we drafted Max Christie, we were thinking these seems like delusions of grandeur at this point, but seeing how he's looked in Summer League thus far, maybe not. But we were saying like, oh, this guy looks like Kevin Martin on offense and Sean Livingston on defense. And he's starting to kind of look like that again because... The on-ball creation stuff, him leveraging his body, maintaining a tight, methodical handle. But on top of that, just having the strength and sturdiness to do kind of whatever he wants has been very, very impressive. He looks like a veteran out there. On top of the fact that he's carried over his three-point shooting from the regular season last year on low volume when he shot like 40% from the regular season and also carried over his five-star high school recruit shooting skills that intrigued and endeared scouts to him when he went into Michigan his first year he's carried that all and put it all together into this year's summer league and now Tommy I'm kind of seeing not to go too crazy with these comps but given the the three level flat the three level scoring upside that he's flashed along with some playmaking ability as well and even some athleticism he's starting to remind me of like prime Josh Richardson who did all of those three things and also defended well as well. Like, I'm very excited about Max Christie's evolution while also understanding that he still has to crack the rotation, but he's off to a good start. 
Agreed that he's off to a good start and agreed with your caveats about him being a second year player. I guess like another thing I'll say, and I know you you also further caveated by saying like a lot of these other guys who are doing well were first round picks. Um, Max Christie was like effectively a red shirt last year. I mean, first of all, we saw he was the youngest player in the draft last year. I think he's currently younger than Brandon Miller or if it, like the age difference between them is like mm. a couple months, but like he's younger than certainly many players drafted this year. And he like effectively redshirted. I mean, he appeared, I think in half our games, most of them obvi- either blowouts or like, you know, injury playing small amounts of minutes and stuff. And, um, it's still impressive given that those facts that, you know, he is able to come out and show with the confidence that he has, like everything he's improved since last year. And the the contrast from last year to this year's summer league is just, it is night and day. I mean, I, Max Christie did not have like an Austin Reeves, Lonzo Ball, like, oh, wow, that was a like, pretty impressive summer league. Like, mm-hmm. he barely looked like an NBA player last year in the summer league to the point where we were all sort of like, wait, we traded money and a future <laughs> and future second round picks to get this pick to draft this guy. Like, this guy's not going to be in the league in two years, you know? And it's just like he went from that to being like one of the best players in the summer league this year. So it it's like intriguing and at the same time curious to see like how much of what he's doing now does he think is like his whole bag and how much of what he's doing now is him just thinking like let me try to develop more of my bag because during the season like I kind of know what my role is going to be because he's not going to he's going to have to figure out how to be effective you know if he wants to crack the rotation on this type of team he's going to have to figure out how to be effective with like I don't, what would you say, like 15% of the touches that he's getting now? I mean, right now they're like running everything through him, right? So like a lot of guys would be good in that situation. And so certainly guys like who have high upside like Max Christie, but like, you know, so where, how does he, how does what we're seeing now, I guess, like translate to the regular season? Yeah, I think it's good that he got a dress rehearsal for what that looks like last season, except, you know, just give him some of Lonnie Walker's minutes, potentially, if he's able to beat out Cam Reddish in training camp. And so I'm intrigued by the possibilities because he looks very poised out there and looks like kind of like that dunk which came out of nowhere. I feel like that's a microcosm of what Max Christie might be able to show here, because unlike THT, who was kind of unbridled and wild for better or for worse max christie just seems so controlled you know like all of his dribbles have such purpose to it and he always seems like he knows what he's doing and it isn't too sped up and it's funny that we were giving jalen hood shafino like the spencer dinwiddie and Derek white comps after we drafted him but max christie is starting to look like the more fully realized version of those comps like right now but we'll see if that comes to fruition, if it's just like a tailored down roll of 15 minutes off the bench. Now, with regards to Jalen Hutchifino, I think the same things you said about Max Christie also apply to him if he wants to crack the rotation in year one, more likely year two. He's going to kind of follow the same trajectory as Max Christie, although if we're just looking at his play in a vacuum of what we've seen from Summer League, he looks much more ready than Max Christie was last year, obviously. Oh, and yeah, yeah. Jalen Hutchifino is probably one of our most ready rookies that we've drafted in a while, probably since Lonzo Ball won Summer League MVP his rookie season, right? Like, when we watch JHS play, nothing is too flashy. He doesn't have explosive athleticism. 
but he's very mature and very seasoned. And the one thing that I think caught us both off guard with regards to JHS is the fact that we didn't know he was this strong and sturdy bodied. Like we knew he had a strong frame, but we didn't know that he could leverage it to his advantage because in college, you'd see him, you'd see these weaknesses, these weakness videos of him, and he'd try and go into the lane and he'd finish so weakly and always get blocked or his body would hit the floor and you're like, okay, that looks like D'Angelo Russell sometimes, right? But in summer league so far, you see him absorb the contact and then actually try and get these and one layups or try and get to the foul line, kind of like Austin Reeves, you know? So I think that's one thing that may have changed about him or something that he's worked on in the couple of months off from the college season where, yeah, he, he has a physicality about him that I didn't necessarily expect. He got, it seems like he got stronger uh, physique-wise and on every level, uh, learning how to leverage his broader frame to take it more aggressively to the basket and absorb contact and finish better. Um yeah, his passing instincts and good reads are all over the place. You see it especially in transition, that really nice no-look pass to Maxwell Lewis. And you just see how crafty he is and how well he toggles his dribble pace from these hard, methodical dribbles to all of a sudden his quick first steps and being able to really catch defenses off guard. I mean, defensively, he is as sound and as solid as you could ask for from a rookie guard, kind of the same way that we saw from Max Christie last summer league, where he couldn't hit a bucket to save his life. But defensively, you're like, oh, that looks like a seasoned vet. He has all the fundamentals down. And JHS is all of that, including the fact that he just seems like he competes and does all the little things. I forgot who gave this comp. It might have been Darvin Ham, But in a lot of senses, he, he does have that very, like, Jason Kidd type of vibe to his game where he does a little bit of everything and fills up the box score in every statistical category. So... He's, he might not get you 30 points or have these crazy lines like Keontae George has, but at the end of the day, he'll have 15 points, seven rebounds, five assists, two steals, and one block. And you're like, okay, filled up the stat sheet. And I also mentioned this on Twitter, but it kind of reminds me of Andre Miller as well. Like a guy who uses his sturdy frame and crafty dribbles to get into the lane, get into the mid-range and finish. And just like Andre Miller, he has great passing instincts. Unfortunately, just like Andre Miller, who was never a three-point shooter, JHS's three-point shot definitely needs a lot of work. His free throw shooting also needs some work as well. I'm not sure if it's the jitters or whatnot, but right now I would say he's giving me Andre Miller vibes, which is not a bad thing, as well as like a craftier version of Jeremy Lin, who also wasn't explosive, but was athletic in the sense that Jeremy Lin knew how to leverage his body to, again, absorb contact and relentlessly drive into the lane. Plus, Jay Lin was a really good facilitator out of the pick and roll, which JHS is. Both of them were not very flashy, but they were very good offensive orchestrators. And hopefully he can develop his three-point shot the way that Jeremy Lin eventually did, because Jeremy Lin was never a high-volume three-point shooter. He'd have random games where he'd hit nine threes or something, but if you look at his total season average, it's like, oh, Jeremy Lin hit one three-pointer a game. Um... But outside of that, I've been impressed by JHS. We'll see how much it'll translate into the regular season, whether he'll actually have a role. As I mentioned, he's probably going to look like Max Christie did last season. But if we're just analyzing his game in a vacuum this summer league, it's been impressive. So your thoughts on JHS? Yeah, I've actually been very, very impressed with JHS. I'm probably, I, I think from what I've seen online, at least, I feel like I'm higher on him, I think, than most people are. I think you could argue that going into um, 
going into the draft, the biggest question mark on JHS was like, you know, we know he has a mid-range game. We know he has a floater. You know, he wasn't an elite shooter in college, but he could hit a three um, occasionally. What what about the rim? Because like he, you know, what, what good is it that, you know, you have these kind of this high IQ and these skills off the dribble if you can't make it all the way to the rim. I think you posted some stats like he was among he had really low like free throw rates and a bunch of other mm-hmm. numbers suggesting he didn't like see contact. And like you mentioned this, too, but like. I don't know if it's the bulking up or he was told this during the scouting process by scouts like because my understanding is like when you do these workouts and stuff like teams give you feedback on like what you should work on. So like maybe he was getting feedback from teams that that's going to be a question mark on him. Um, and he clearly just like, I mean, like in summer league, it's almost like how could anyone have ever said that was a weakness of his? And like, I'm not saying he's getting to the line 20 times a game, but like he's clearly like seeking out contact and, you know, doing a good job at it and, and finishing through contact and, and all these types of things that, you figure will like bring him great success um, with this team. He's extremely steady. I actually really like the Jason Kidd comp because I feel like this is a guy and this is going to be like become annoying over the years, but like this is a guy who we're going to hear like analysts over the years say a hundred times he's got sneaky athleticism, which is like what they say when like a guy is actually really athletic, but he just can't like jump 40 inches high. So like they call it sneaky athleticism. Um, but like, you know, he plays with like and and Alex Regla and some other guys on Twitter have talked about this, but like he plays with this like really intense change of pace, constantly changing paces, like in one possession with the ball, if he catches it and starts the break himself, like you'll see him play at like three different paces. Like he'll sprint and then he'll slightly slow and then like lull you to sleep and then go again. It's just instincts that you, you don't really see in a 20 year old player very often. I think the shooting in the NBA, the big thing for him, I mean, he has to tighten up a lot of areas of his game, but they, you know, I think he has to tighten up his handle a little bit. Like he has kind of a, uh, t- a uh, kind of fluid handle. Like he can string moves together, but he also is a little wild with it. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and I think the biggest thing he's going to have to clean up is his jump shot. But, like, you can see a path, I think, with both. Like, on the jump shot, to me at least, his shot does not look broken. Even when he misses the threes and, like, the long jumpers, first of all, a lot of them have been, I think, close misses. It's not like he's breaking these or, like, barely hitting the rim in some cases. Um, I think that will hopefully come. If his jump shot doesn't come, it's going to potentially put a ceiling on what his overall impact can be as a player. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I will say that, you know, I think you and I were both high on a guy like Colby Jones coming into the draft, right? And I think Jalen Hutchifino possesses a lot of the same qualities that Colby Jones had, and they're actually only a year apart. With regards to them being NBA-ready sort of guys who you can throw in there in win-now situations and they won't make mistakes, at the very least, you know there's a baseline of defense with JHS, Kind of like Christian Braun, right? You know he has some creation abilities in a pinch if you need him to do that. But if you just want him to stem the tide and muck it up on defense a little bit, that's something that JHS can do. And that's something that Colby Jones can do, which is why I make that comparison. 
except JHS is a year younger and potentially has a little bit more upside than a guy like Colby Jones. So could JHS potentially have a Christian Braun role as soon as next year? Maybe, maybe more so year two, but if things go wrong for some reason and there are injuries and stuff like that through the course of an 82 regular 82 game regular season, I do think JHS can be thrown out there and I think he'll do more than just sort of tread water. You know, from what we've seen, he seems like a very smart player. He just does, he, I mean, he just has an uphill climb for now just because guys like Austin Reeves, Max Christie are there, let alone guys like D'Angelo Russell and Gabe Vincent, the more established guys who are getting paid the money to play almost starter, pseudo-starter roles. So he has a lot more competition than guys like Austin Reeves and Max Christie did when they came into the league. So it'll be interesting to see how he navigates that situation. It's not necessarily the best position for him to gain as much usage as he can, but given the situation so far, I feel like he's handled himself well. I just, you know, it, it's tough for him. I, I mentioned that I could see this becoming a Javaris Crittenton situation if the Lakers do end up swinging a trade of consequence. You made up, you brought up a good point that it could be a Javaris Crittenton situation or it could be a Jordan Farmer situation where a guy like Farmar in his second or third year was already playing a role off the bench for a championship contending team, right? And I do think a guy like JHS po- uh, possesses those types of qualities to be able to already contribute. The only difference I would make with regards to Jordan Farmer's situation and JHS's situation is the fact that JHS has a couple of Farmers already ahead of him in Max Christie and Austin Reeves that he has to compete with. But who knows? He may outplay or outdo Max Christie in training camp. We'll have to see. Um, to close this episode, Tommy, I want to talk really quickly about Maxwell Lewis and then Colin Castleton. Maxwell Lewis... I feel like in the limited amount of minutes that he's been getting, I feel like they should play more starter minutes. And we've gotten to see him a little bit more the past couple of games, especially on ball. But Max Lewis has impressed me with how smooth and fluid he looks on the court. He just glides on the floor and he just pops whenever he's playing. And I know people like to call him like a project and like to say that he's raw But I don't know, every time I watch him play, I'm like, oh, that guy's kind of polished, whether it's what he does passing the ball, what he does on the ball, how he attacks closeouts with such decisiveness. He looks better to me than Cam Reddish did at Cam Reddish's age. He looks more like he knows what he's doing, you know? And I don't know, he may be better than Cam Reddish is now. Um, And I feel like if you gave him the same amount of reps that Cam Reddish has gotten in his career thus far... I don't know, Maxwell Lewis may have shown more at this point than Cam Reddish. And to me, he's even shown some really nice defensive flashes on ball, leveraging his length and his athleticism. It seems like he's a guy who competes on that end. He's had a couple of really nice block shots on guys. But for me, the other thing that's impressed me is just like his playmaking and his connective passing, making the right reads in the offense. It seems like he's already flashed us what he's going to do at the next level with regards to he's not doing too much out there. And that's kind of what I like. But then when he gets the opportunity to run the break or cut off ball, you're seeing the upside intrigue with a guy like Max Well Lewis and including that like step back three point shot he had where he was like toggling the ball back and forth and still hit the three point shot. So yeah, what are your thoughts on what you've seen from Maxwell Lewis thus far? I'm I've been really impressed. I think he's like, 
I agree with you. It does seem like people say he's raw, but I wonder if like it's like people are people saying he he he's raw because he sort of runs around like a gazelle out there, like learning to run for the first time. He's like he's got these long limbs and he kind of has like an interesting gait, I feel like. Um, but yeah, in terms of where he is skills wise at this point, he can hit a shot. He can do some things with the ball. I mean, for his size, certainly, I think what he can do with the ball is totally fine. I think like he's shown flashes of on-ball defense, but the off-ball defense he gets lost. That's like maybe an IQ thing that has to come with some seasoning. But um, it just feels like we keep and like keep hitting on these second-round picks, and maybe it's like unremarkable in some senses because like people had Maxwell Lewis, some, or some many people did project it as like a late first-round pick potentially. But I mean, it's just he's. He clearly has a role. Now, I think, like, when you're looking at this depth chart, like, he's clearly going to be a guy who, if we can only suit up 13 guys and we're carrying 14 guys, like, he's probably going to be the one not suiting up most of the night, uh, most of the season. Um, but, like, you're looking down the line, we have him cost-controlled if we want to for, like, four years on, like, these really, really, really team-friendly uh, second-round pick contracts. So... He's going to have plenty of opportunities to develop here. And yeah, it's it's like maybe we have, uh, you know, kind of taking a flyer on Cam Reddish for this year. But if Cam Reddish has a good year and leaves for more money, like maybe Maxwell Lewis steps in as like the new Cam Reddish next year. Yeah. And there's a very good possibility that both Cam Reddish and Torian Prince aren't here next year. Right. And we could see. Maxwell Lewis assumed the position that Max Christie is now in where he he continues to make those strides and leaps to the point where he has a good shot at competing for the backup shooting guard position or even the backup three as well. And so we could see that for Max Lewis next year. For this year, I could see him absolutely dominating with Jalen Huchifino and Colin Castleton in with the South Bay Lakers. So really quickly to end this show, Colin Castleton, I mean... This dude is putting up like what, 16 points, eight rebounds, four assists. I think he's leading the team currently in assists at the big man spot. And yeah, I don't know. He, I called him like poor man's Kroger brand Zach Collins when we first, when I first saw his game tape and nothing he's done in summer league has gotten me off that lofty expectation. In fact, he's only sort of owned that comp even more just outside of the fact that he hasn't been able to hit a three. He kind of does everything else that Zach Collins does in terms of like probing on the perimeter with like a probe dribble and being able to make smart passes at the top of the key or in the post. He's a very smart and patient decision maker, and he has shown some jump shooting capabilities as well. Most of all, he's shown a nice touch whenever he gets the ball in the lane. And then with regards to just how he plays, he's very mobile and scrappy. He's a bit frail, so you worry about whether he'll get tossed around by bigger bodies once he gets into the NBA. But what I like about Colin Castleton is that he doesn't shy away from physicality. He kind of reminds me of like, kind of has that Tyler Hansborough toughness to him, you know, where he's not afraid to like bang down low. Um, And so I feel like he has a really good motor and really competes on both ends of the floor. It's almost like having an Alex Caruso at the forward center spot. And then on top of that, he has a seven foot three wingspan and he has really good shot block timing instincts. And then again, to reiterate, his playmaking and his probing off his own dribble is a rare skill to have as a big. And to have your big be able to facilitate at every area of the court could be potentially huge down the line. Again, I don't think he's going to have much of a role this season, but just seeing these flashes from a guy like Colin Castleton uh, is very intriguing. But your thoughts on Colin? 
Yeah. He's just impressed me so much. It's like one of these guys who I feel like the story about like projected second round pick says, don't draft me because I want to choose my team. Like you hear that so much to the point where like you figure it can't always be true. It feels like this guy should have been an NBA draft pick. I mean, Mm -hmm. he is clearly an NBA player. In fact, I'm like actually surprised. I think, I mean, in your very, very thorough scouting, (laughs) you probably came across him, right? Actually, I remember you did come across him before, um, you know, the draft. But I, other than hearing you talking about him in passing and seeing your tweets and stuff on him, like had never really heard of this guy. And I'm surprised because, yes, maybe he doesn't have like, he wasn't the former number one player in the country with, you know, who's young, like Derek Lively. He wasn't like, he doesn't have like jump off the page, like crazy measurables, like uh, Najee, but he is like a really, really good basketball player. I mean, he, you know, again, we've, and we've talked about this with like skill sets of big men. Like you don't have to be able to hit a three pointer to make it in the NBA. Um, I think as a seven footer, if you're big and you know how to use your size defensively and you can do anything else on offense, pass the ball, set good screens, you know, whatever, show good touch around the rim, there's going to be a role. I mean, you, you don't have to look that far, right? Like if he's a Zubats for the Clippers has had a really nice career from himself without like a reliable jump shot. And I don't even think he has like a lot of, and that's basically just because he has good strength and touch. I think Castleton, like the fact that you can run offense through him is just like a game changer. I feel like we haven't had bigs who can pass like this since, I mean, I know JaVale and Dwight are not known for their passing, but they were pretty good initiators of like high post offense for us. Um, Obviously other than AD, but like, Colin Castleton like is so comfortable with the ball in his hands on the perimeter um, doing like creating opportunities for other people. And it doesn't always lead to an assist, but like he is not scared to dribble the ball and and do things, um, whether that's on the fast break or whatever. I, again, I put him in the, this bucket of like this guy is clearly going to have an NBA career. And I'm I can't believe really that we got him. And it's nice that like we have enough depth, I think, in the front or we should have theoretically enough depth in the front court. Um so we don't need to use him right away, but he's, he, I mean, once he, especially once he bulks up, I mean, this dude, it could easily be a rotation player for us in a year. And if his jump shot improves, right? Because he has a really comfortable handle for a big man. In fact, when he grabs the rebound and takes the ball down on his own, you kind of see flashes of Kelly Olenek initiating early offense as the big man. And then Outside of just the passing, he can put the ball on the floor if he doesn't find a cutter or whatever off those like dribble handoffs. All of a sudden, he'll put it on the floor and take you to the post or, you know, take it all the way to the rim, which is very impressive and shows his mobility as a big man, kind of like Zach Collins, even though when they go up, it looks very awkward and you see these gangly limbs and stuff and it doesn't look like he means to do what he's doing, but it's effective, you know, he he gets into the lane, gets under, like gets amongst the trees and seeks out contact. And if he's not, if he doesn't get the shot, he's going to fight for the offensive rebound. And so I, I think you're right. Like he flew past our radar mainly because he's 23 years old. He played five years in college, was like a second year senior, I believe, kind of the same issues that plagued Trace Jackson Davis as a 23 year old, right? These guys just like, fall because of their age but the Lakers seem to always take advantage of this market inefficiency of older players but who but older players who have real skill sets you know do they have a longer runway to have higher upside no 
But for the Lakers, we don't need that. You know, we need guys who can contribute in the next two to three years. And Colin Castleton, at the very least, seems like a bench, a perfectly suitable bench big who can do that maybe as soon as next year. So very excited about Colin Castleton and what he can do. He kind of also reminds me of, this is such a random name, but do you remember Tiago Splitter from the Spurs? Yeah. So they kind of have the same build and they kind of do the same things in terms of just like hustle, energy, big man guys, but also dudes with skill, surprising skill. Um, so yeah, that'll do it for our episode. I, oh, I guess Demoy Hodge, any quick, Three bullet point thoughts on Demoy Hodge. He's been very impressive. The fact that he's been able to hit these three-point shots on a variety of different levels, including pulling up from three off his own dribble. And then most of all, you know, just defensively, he gets after it. People have described him as KCP. I like to say KCP, but in Avery Bradley's body because he does look a little bit smaller. But the poise with which he's played has been impressive. And, you know, we've had guys like this before, like the Joel Ayais, who have lofty expectations, but they've never really panned out. But it seems like Demoy Hodge is on a much better trajectory than those previous guys who we've said before look like a KCP in Joel Ayayi. And for some reason, they aren't able to put it together. But Demoy Hodge's shot looks for real, and that's half the battle or most of the battle. Yeah, my three bullet points on him are KCP. <laughs> I'm down with it, baby. <laughs> but I think, like, you know, it. It's going to be interesting. Demoy, I think Demoy Hodge, for again, for an undrafted guy on a two-way contract, phenomenal value. He's like all, he's an older player. If we need him to contribute right away, he potentially can. And then we can just see how does he develop? Like, does the defense develop? Does the lack of size kind of become a problem? Is he able to continue his like elite shooting at the NBA level? Like, we'll answer some of these questions while he's sort of in the background. But on a two-way contract, I just feel like the one thing this team has been weird at, despite all the success around the draft the last few years, is the two-way contracts have always. I mean, like the first Russ year, it was a revolving door of like two-way random two-way contract guys, right? The second year, uh, last year. It was like Scottie Pippen Jr. and Cole Swider, who like are probably both going to be out of the league in like in a matter of weeks, right? So like, it, it's felt like we've always we haven't. It, it's always felt like we haven't used the two A spot the way it was intended, which is like slowly develop or bringing a guy along. Except for like I guess maybe Stanley Johnson. Didn't we give him a two A spot at, at some point, or was he too old to be eligible? We gave a two A spot to somebody who we eventually did sign. Um like Seku de Boyer or something. <laughs> I don't know. Something like it was I think it was Seku actually. But like, you know, it's like we uh it feels like this year between Castleton and Hodge, it's like, okay, these guys clearly have both earned their spots. Yeah, I totally agree. And it it'll be exciting to see this team absolutely dominate with the South Bay Lakers this year. I might have to catch some games. You're right there, actually. You should catch some games in El Segundo. Just kidding. You have a kid. Um, but I might I might go this year because it seems like a really fun group to have Demoy Hodge, JHS, Colin Castleton, even, even Cole Swider, you know, to fill a spot. So very, very good young group in this year's Summer League. And a, again, credit to the Lakers scouts and the bus bros. But yeah, with that said, that'll do it for our episode. It is summer. It's getting hot I'm probably in Hawaii by the time you guys listen to this, and I don't give a fuck about anything else, even though the Lakers are looking good. Uh, With that said, Tommy, have a great rest of your summer. Everybody stay cool, and uh, we will catch you guys next time. See ya. Peace. Later.
credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.